Hey everyone, it's Rob with Four Songs, coming at you with another episode. Yeah, I know, it's only been about three or four months since the last one, and you know, life happens. Things get busy, and it's hard to get these things done. But I got good news for you, because the next couple weeks, you're going to be seeing a lot more of me. I mean, maybe that's good for some, bad for others, but the thing you got to do is hit that subscribe button, because you're not going to miss anything that's coming up. Because I got one in particular that I can't even get over how awesome it's going to be. So hit that subscribe button, follow me on Twitter or X now or whatever the hell it's called at, at four songs two. That's at four songs number two and tell your friends. So those of you who've been with me for a while, you may recall that about three years ago when I was just kind of getting this thing going and we were all at home wondering when things would ever get back to normal. I had Louis Michaud on this podcast for the first time. Now, Louis Michaud is a singer-songwriter. He and his brother Andre founded the Lost Bayou Ramblers down in Louisiana about 20-plus years ago. The Lost Bayou Ramblers played traditional Cajun music. Maybe they played at breakneck speed, kind of like the Pogues did with traditional Irish music back in the day. They sing it in traditional Cajun French, so unless you know what he's saying and you speak French, it can be a little hard for those of us who don't speak that language to keep up with it. But hey, that's why I'm here, to help you get through that. We talk about Louis' solo album called Rêve des Troubadours. It's his first one. Now, Rêve des Troubadours means Troubadours' dream. And what's kind of interesting about all this is that when I think back, when I talked to him for the first time in September of 2020, it's been three years, and he did a solo album in that period, and we talk about it almost three years exactly to the date after that first conversation. So in many ways, this is full circle. And I tell you, his album, Troubadours' Dream, it is just a compelling listen. You're going to hear a hell of a lot of musical influences on here, not just Cajun music. Yeah, they're going to, of course, you're going to hear some of that, but you're going to hear influences from people like Lee Scratch Perry. Yeah, you just got to hear it. I mean, it's something else. He had a number of guests on this album, Nigerian guitarist Bombino, cellist, singer, songwriter, Leila McCalla, DJ slash beatmaker Quintron, Lace String Noise, and so many others. It's just an amazing album. And we talk a little bit about how it just came together and how Louis was uncomfortable with it at first because he's been in bands for so long. And But what's interesting is you hear about why some songs just aren't meant for certain projects, why this had to be a solo album. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of different musicians in this podcast doing this show. Louis reminds me a lot of Dom Flemons, who was just on here, in that he's a multi-instrumentalist, he's a hell of a singer, hell of a songwriter, but he's also a historian. And I want to make a special note here for those of you who are sensitive to certain topics. We talk about one song called La Casse de Marguerite. It's a story about slavery. It's a brutal song. It's a tragic song, but it's one that's important. It's a story that's important to tell and understand. But I know it's not easy to hear. Louis feels it's his cross to bear as an artist and a musician to... Tell stories that people may not want to hear, to tell stories that may make you uncomfortable and may make you think twice about a couple of things. And really that, in his mind, is what an artist's job is. So if you feel sensitive to that, just keep that in mind. The song is called La Casta Marguerite. With that, before we get going, I do want to highlight that there are a couple of names here that we talk about that Louis drops that are important to keep in mind as we 
go through the podcast. The first one is, is a guy named Louis Gottschalk. He is a composer, an American composer, who wrote the song Souvenir du Puerto Rico, which we talk about. And then finally, Spider Stacy of the Pogues. I mentioned him because we talk about the last song. Louis discusses Spider and the poetry show and how things just may have crept into Louis's mind that when he was writing this album. So anyway, um, I'm just thrilled to bring Louis back. He is an amazing uh, singer, songwriter, just a genuine good guy and just thrilled to have him back. So please welcome Louis Michaud back to Four Songs. First of all, it's great to see you. How, how I know it's, it's been about a couple of years since we last talked, I think right before the poetry tour. So what's it like? Are you, you, you kind of get back to normal. Is this what life has been like? before 2020 yeah it's i mean it's yeah it's partially back to normal and it's partially a new deal you know it still have to be careful and try to yeah. <laughs> you know, still try to keep healthy and but that was always the same so anyway it's uh but it's been good we've been we've been real busy and the interesting thing now for me is that i did make this project when things weren't busy and so I put so much, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to put so much into, into something that I can now move forward with. It's interesting to now be performing the music that I started during the pandemic and didn't even realize I was making a solo album. So, <laughs> well, is it, you know, playing that music back again, especially when it came during such a you know, tragic, strange time? I mean, is it, is it, therapeutic in a way that now that you're, you're we're back sort of and you're able to play the stuff that so you, you made the most of your time it sounds like but i just wonder if it's a little weird playing it the thing the thing about like we haven't having had so much time to kind of listen to my own creativity and you know because normally the hard thing about being a recording musician and a touring musician is that it's hard to find time to stop touring to record and to be creative it's like oh well let's let's get it in let's get it in in you know three days five days or two weeks if you're lucky where you know i kind of had this extended <laughs> extended months and months of <clears throat> no no budget but also not many responsive as many responsibilities and not touring so i got to kind of really dive in on the creative side which in turn I didn't like I said I didn't realize I was recording a solo album. I was just kind of recording things to keep my keep my creative mind going. I was having a lot of ideas, you know. I had the time. I was like, oh, let me listen to this record. Oh, wow, that's an amazing old acapella song. I hear something going on there, and I did my own version of it, like I would have in the past for the Ramblers. But really, having also learned how to engineer myself over the last ten years having time to dive in on my own terms and my own limited capability, technically engineering wise. So then coming out to perform this material now that, it, now that after I decided, okay, this is a solo album and I'm going to go hard for an extra year in the studio mixing and all that. Now, beginning of this year, 2023, we started performing the material. So it was definitely a healing experience to get back out, but it was also a challenging experience because it was all new material, new elements, a lot more instruments per person. Because I play, you know, I'm all, I've been a professional fiddle player for the last 25 years, but I also played guitar before that, but I barely played it the last 25 years. So, you know, rehoning myself as a guitarist, uh, learning my own songs, 
my band, uh, Kirkland, Middleton, and Brian Weber are learning the songs and how, so we're all playing like three or four instruments. So it's been a very challenging and learning process as well as healing. And it's been great to kind of grow something new. So that's been uh, awesome. Cool. Well, we're going to talk about the new album and I'm going to, as usual, I'm going to need your help on the pronunciations, but it's yeah. Rave the Rave the Troubadour, is that right? Yep, Rev do do Rev do Troubadour. That's okay. right. And that means Troubadours Troubadours dream. That's right. And, well, so this is your first solo album. Was was the recording when you realized you had enough songs? I mean, was that intimidating? Was it liberating? Just being on your own, everything. <laughs> it was. It came down to a conscious choice because what happened was I, I had these songs and I was like. You know, the melody makers were playing a little bit and I was like, maybe I can, you know, maybe the, I'll call the melody makers over. And I had no intention of this being under my name, hmm. but I did tell them, I said, I'm not sure if these songs are right for the melody makers, but I want to try and see. So we messed with them and I'm with it. We had played live a few times at the melody makers and all the rest were like brand new and didn't really fit the band so much because really the melody makers is a traditional band. So they were all kind of like, yeah, this doesn't really fit the band. And it definitely didn't fit Lost by You Ramblers. And they, they kind of encouraged me to be like, well, this is your material. So I was like, okay, I, mm. what's my name? Louis Michaud. <laughs> am I going to put out an album in my name? Well, I've been doing this for 25 years already. I guess I might have, I've done 18 other bands. I might mm. as well do one in my name. <laughs> so yeah. mm. so that, that, that was the point where I was like, okay. This is what it is. And then we kept going and kept going. And so at that point, when I decided this is my solo album, I had over half the song. But then I, I was like, oh, well, I also have this. And I also have this, things I had worked on. And I kept bringing things out until I had I had more than 10. And I cut a few. And then, you know, so I mean, it's just, it has been so much work, but so gratifying. And you had some help with this. You mentioned Brian and Kirkland, but you, you had... Layla McCullough and Langhorn Slim, Corey, is it Ledette or Ledet? He says Ledette. Okay. So Corey Ledette and Bombino, Quintron. I mean, how did, how did that all come about? Cause that, I mean, those are, that's a level slate of characters there. Yeah. I just was going down in each song. Like, what do I think I need? If I think I need something, who would I like to get? And pretty much kept working out. And I'm very lucky to have the amazing cast of guests. The, the one that really took the longest was track one. Because like I said, I was one of the first ones I started, but it took me so many times to get it right that it took Quintron making a beat that glued it all together. And I had to record it again for the fifth time, the entire song. I had sang the vocals and the fiddle and everything five separate complete times where I was happy with the performances, but not completely happy with the song as a whole. So I had to start from scratch four times, hmm. five times. <laughs> so, yeah. We'll, we'll start with that. We're going to talk about Amaret. And again, I'll need your help with this. Amaret, the Souvenir de Puerto Rico, La Casa de Margaret, and Acadia and a Culture Backstep. So um, we can start with the first one we were talking about, Amaret. And <clears throat> so that hearing it now, you must feel so just like a sense of accomplishment because it took you so long yes. to get it. I, I love the opening riff with that that fiddle. So let's just kind of walk through that, that process. So how did this start out for you? It basically came, I was listening to the Lomax recordings and this song, it just kept, it kept jumping out because of the rhythm of how he was singing. And I'd listened to these, I've been listening to these recordings for, you know, 
25 years and I love every single one of them. They're just all so you there's so many of them. And this one was by Julian Hoffpower from New Iberia. And he has a bunch of songs he sang in his, but this one, it was just a cappella. I heard this whole rhythm going on behind his voice, imagining what he heard when he heard it. Cause just because he sings it a cappella, doesn't mean it was always an acapella song, but it had these kind of melodic influences that almost seemed like, you know, I mean, France, Europe, Louisiana, they're places in their own, but they're such part of like such a larger world history. Was it the gypsies rolling through France? Was it the Spanish? And he's a Hofpower. Is that German, but he speaks French. So, you know, it's just like, it just, it's mind boggling to imagine where these songs came from, where he learned it from. When I finally like figured out the melody and figured out the words, it took me a while and I figured out the beat and I was so attached to the song and I, I heard how I wanted it that like one time I'd get one part right. Like I got the beat right, but I did it a little different. I did it myself and I was like, ah, oh, it was just too much to follow and it wasn't gluing. So then I had to try another beat. It was all about the beats. And like that was what I heard under his voice, even though it was a cappella. So it wasn't until Quintron did the fifth version. And I and I had done it so many times by then that I was getting a lot better at it. There's a lot of words. Yeah. And I ended up playing, so I ended up playing the guitar, fiddle, triangle. And then Kirkland played the the snare, the snare beat, and then uh on top of Quintron's uh, drum machine beat. really interesting story there's a lot of plays on words in it and it's really a really interesting story of love and gambling hmm. <laughs> kind of gambling and love too he says amoret it actually means it means a lot of things but one thing it means is snake wood oh. it's actually a term for snake wood and he says ode d'amoret and he said which means snake wood dice but is it lover's dice amoret it's like a little love, a little a flinger, like a, you know, so is it Lover's Dice? Love that song. One of the only original, one of the only uh, non-originals. It wasn't until Quintron sent the beat that I described and I gave him the BPM and everything. He sent it and I said, okay, does this feel good? Does this feel like a good song? It does. Mm. I'm going with it and I rolled with it and it did. So, mm. yeah. <laughs>
Oh, man, I mean, I have so many takes of me singing those lyrics. It's crazy. <laughs> 100 and finally nailed it. Like, I feel like I nailed it, which is also awesome. I didn't stop at, okay, that's good enough, you know? Yeah, I guess. For me. Me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I was thinking about what's different between this and the Ramblers. And you, you talk a lot about the beats. And I know you've, you've incorporated that and in, in some of your other music. But it sounds like it gets to a point where... I don't know if you are you familiar with Lee Scratch Perry? Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It almost sounds like he came in and produced us with you. It's like so much going on and yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, there's you yeah. You mean the whole album as a whole or track? Yeah, but just because it's so much there different types of music and the beats are all different and it's it's really a compelling listen. And it's interesting you say that because I'm actually working on a track with Lee Scratch Perry. Oh wow. I recorded him not personally, but I commissioned him a few years ago before he passed away obviously mm -hmm. and uh, a friend of mine met him on a plane mm -hmm. and then gave me his number or his lady his wife's number we recorded him in a studio in jamaica and i'm working on that been working on that for a few years but i'm kind of waiting on someone to the right this person to uh you know get in there on time it's interesting you, you mentioned that because that's a for one a huge compliment for me and funny that, yeah, it's actually not so far off. Yeah, interesting. So the next one I want to talk about was Souvenir du Puerto Rico, which is an instrumental number. And like, how you unearthed this one, this has been around the 1800s. So how did you come across this one and what made you want to take a shot at it? Yeah, this one um, had been actually one of the guys who was involved with the Biso Southern Wild performances, the live performances we did told me about God Chalk and then I read about him in Ned Sublet's book. Uh, Ned Sublet is a author and a music historian of sorts. He does I think he's part of Afro. I didn't realize that he was part of Afro Pop Worldwide. He does some of the shows. He's like does these tours to Cuba and stuff and he has some Louisiana roots and he, he wrote this book called uh, From Spanish Silver to Congo Square, The World That Made New Orleans and he talks about Gottschalk and how Gottschalk was one of the only people that brought forward the music of the mid to late 1800s in the New World. And not only in New Orleans from Congo Square and Bambula and, you know, which relates to the Kalenda and these this almost new form of musics that were based in both African and European and all, you know, tradition and obviously native influence as well, naturally. And he would he traveled a lot and uh, wrote wrote things he heard, influenced by the songs of the time. And "Souvenir to Puerto Rico" is one of those that it's based off of a melody that's still heard today in Puerto Rico. I think around the holiday time. To me, Gottschalk's material because he's also known as one of the only great American composers of that time. Mm. But he was. Creole French of Dutch, Dutch and Creole French from through the Haitian Revolution, which is same as the Michos came to New Orleans after the revolution. He went to Paris and trained all that. So, but he wrote this, uh, he wrote this in Puerto Rico at the edge of a extinct volcano. Hmm. And but but I learned souvenir to Puerto Rico mostly by ear by listening to records. I'd started listening to his music a lot, and I finally like I was like, man, that one's really cool. I want to see if I can pick that one out on guitar and I'm just kept going and kept going and kept going and until I finally like came up with 
a version it nowhere you go my version goes nowhere near the complexity of the extended song that he wrote you know it's like my simple arrangement of it so i finally got through it on electric guitar in the wee hours of the you know wee hours of the night wee hours of the morning i would just go in my little studio and it'd be like i would have tried for four hours and then had to go do like homeschooling and then had to go like to the store and then go to you know wherever like a function and then i'd get back and i'd be like okay i'm gonna try again and then you know and then do that for a few days before i could really get it And then once I had it, I, I unearthed it later when we were walk when we were working on the album, and I uh, I got I was like, okay, how am I gonna make this? So I got Brian, Layla, and String Noise to add. So I played guitar on that, and they played all the you know, double bass, cello, and two violins on top of that. I love how it came. I mean, the yeah. what string noise did to it. I mean, I was happy myself to be able to get that far, but what string noise added to it, and what Layla and Brian added to it, just really makes it. Yeah, I mean, what I like about about this one is it's it's kind of haunting when you kind of hear Def- the strings and then the, the the way you play the guitar. It, it's you know, I know you, we were talking earlier about climate change and. I was just kind of wondering, like, did, is, are you trying to tell more than what maybe the Gottschalk was trying to, to say way back when? I said, that's interesting. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. <clears throat> and I <clears throat> and I also think that, yeah, the hauntingness was probably something that kind of drew me in with this one and the simplicity, which, you know, <laughs> helped me, <laughs> helped me. But I really appreciated the, the, that simple, that dark melody. I didn't think about that, but hey, it's definitely, it's definitely like I think on the tip of the tongue somehow creatively is the changing world and what to make of that. Like I know, I don't know really what to say <clears throat> about that through music, but I want I want to, but I'm not sure how to say it.
So next one is, and I'll need your help. La Casa de Marguerite. Did I get that right? Yep. Yep. It's 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 ca. It's kind of hard because it's ca without the s. Okay. Yeah. So what's you know for someone like me who doesn't speak the, the French language at all, really, uh, what's what's happening here? You, you say it kind of built off another song, and yeah, it's the song. The first song is a story about the the man who ended up founding Madisonville. Louisiana on Lake Pontchartrain and in the story it side references that his wife's father his wife's mother died and the father married the slave they had purchased to raise their children when they arrived in like he like arrived in Mobile and she he was like born on Dolphin his wife was born on Dolphin Island they eventually got married <clears throat> and they bought a slave at, at, at some point to raised the children, and then the wife ended up passing away, and he married the slave. And so that's when I found out about the Casa Marguerite, the Marguerite case, because Marguerite had to, her and Joseph moved from New Orleans to Opelousas, like a lot of Creole families did at the time, which is why the term Creole often means mixed or like, you know, you're not, it's not like black or white. You know, that which is it became that because there was so much of that happening, like so much, you know, not like so many white and black couples. And they often would move out this way to get away from New Orleans or family who didn't approve. And they would get a big land and just be like, oh, we're just going to go isolate in the country and do our thing. And that it wasn't so easy for them. And his children from his first marriage re-enslaved mm. his wife and their new children from their marriage multiple times. And finally, Marguerite got a emancipation documents and then they, they freed him like for the third, so it was like her third time being free because he freed her the first time. Then they re-enslaved her, he freed her a second time. Then when he died, the, the children, he had to steal her back at knife point. He had to steal his wife back at knife point from his son. Wow. So he had to, uh, so then he died. They re-enslaved her again and their children. And she finally said, enough is enough. I'm getting my papers. And this is late 1700s because it was Spanish rule. Okay. And, and then the Spanish rule, there was the cortacion, which means you could, all slaves have the guaranteed right to be able to purchase their freedom. Now, if you can achieve it is another thing, but she achieved it, but you have to pay the cortacion. So she finally got it. And then I go into the cortacion, which is this whole list of conditions that like $600 over two years and two months. And he had to work for an extra two years before being freed and had to pay them $50 a month and like $200 in cash and silver, or whatever, you know, mm. like these conditions that like most slaves couldn't meet. So they met the conditions and they all were freed. And that's the end of the song. About wow. third time. So that's what that story is.
you know, it was, it was an interesting writing process. It took me, you know, days of writing and editing and all that to really get it, to really get the story cohesive and to do it justice for history as well. And in, in fact, the interesting thing about this is that this is not just history. This is present day and, it, you know, it still exists in the sense that the, the, the family is huge. And one of the descendants was at my show Saturday. Oh, wow. And she was like, that was my seventh grade grandma. And thank you so much for telling her story. So it's kind of uh, a little bit intense like that too, you know, it's like, yeah, it's still, where even if it's that far removed, there's still, it still resonates, you know, right. both sides probably. I mean, cause just listening to the song, it's an intense, you know, and you got Layla on it too. I think her, her vocals really add, I think to it, but I mean, I was going to ask, was this intense for you to, 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 to perform it? Just when you... Yeah. Cause I mean, just to tell that story that, especially from my perspective, white European background, white American, to tell that a story about slavery and slavery is like, I just felt it was a story that I came across and I was, I just felt like I should tell it because it's part of history. Mm -hmm. It is, it's, it's intense to perform definitely. And now I have my lyric video. So now people can actually read what I'm singing about. You know, it's the part of being an artist it's it's a bit of a across to bear us to like to mm. try to speak your truth and say it in a way that you're proud of what you're saying you stand behind it even though some people might not agree with it or be you know sensitive to certain subject matter and such but just right. i'm just like well it's also history so it's not like i'm you know i'm just repeating history so it's and that's and that all kind of all goes back as well to the rev de troubadour concept is that that's like okay what am i like what is all what is the common thread of this all the common thread is it's like i'm carrying songs and stories forward and i'm also talking about modern events and historical events and that's kind of what the troubadour thing is is you know oral history through song and it was a kind of an art form you know so that's kind of got inspired that way yeah well i want to respect for your time tonight louis i got one more song i want to talk about it's acadiana culture backs up which is pretty straight ahead, straight up rocker here with Corey Ledette. And so how did how this come together? Canada Culture Backstep is, you know, it's kind of like a traditional melody. And then for some reason, I just, there, what was happening in local politics at the time was the local La Lafayette, the, there was some Acadiana politics going on that was taking from the black community. And, you know, of course, this was not just happening here. This was like all the the protests that were happening everywhere. There was, you know, people passing out red and white hats, you know, of that movement mm. here in Lafayette, like throwing out 
red and white political hats of the MAGA movement. And then on the other side, they were like defunding the, you know, the black side of town's parks and such. It was like a big deal. And everyone was up in, up in arms about it. And I just thought, I said, it's so funny because, you know, of course the local, you know, it was like the, the, the state and the parish and the governments, you know, first ones to, to promote and tout culture and to tout like whatever be Mardi Gras Indians or Zydeco or African American communities have always been just huge trend makers and go back to like bluegrass and the banjo and, you know, right. rapping and like just all, you know, just on and on Zydeco and hmm. first ones at the top, but then at the same time, they're the first ones that get defunded. Yeah. It's, it's nice when it's convenient, but at the same time, you know, you're playing racist political games and right. such and that, what I said in that song, and that's kind of my soapbox moment of that time period. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like to me, this song may have come to you pretty quickly. I don't know, just the way it just feels like it has that. Oh, yeah, definitely. It came to one. That's the thing. Once I figured it out, that was it. I played a So, I played accordion. Hmm. I figured out accordion. Obviously, I mean, I hope you will be a test. My accordion playing, I did my best and not Corey Ledet's, but it's Corey Ledet's drumming because drums are his first instrument. So if I'm going to play, if I'm going to try to play, a kind of a Zydeco style song. I need a real Zydeco drummer. So. Yeah, I noticed the drumming really stood out to me on this one, and I couldn't really put my finger on it. It just has a very... Uh, this is not a great comparison, but it almost sounds like a Pogue song, in a way. Just the way yeah. the rhythm and the melody, it's just very... Man, that's, that's interesting, man. And... uh yeah, I mean, that's definitely, as you know, not the first time people have compared <laughs> we do to the Pogues, but it's also interesting because the Pogues are obviously Irish influence, but they're also like, they have their Fiesta album and they have yeah. a song about Amadie Ardoin. You know that song? Which one? The Amadie Ardoin. I, I, I probably would if I heard it, but I don't know about Pogues song about the grandfather of Zodico. Okay. It's, and Spider told me that it was Joe Strummer who turned them on to Louisiana French music, mm. to Cajun Zydeco. And one of these songs, like White City is a Pogue song. Like, oh, wow, it sounds just like Cornbread, like the Zydeco song. So there's definitely, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for your, your time tonight, Louis. Uh, it's a great album. Comes out. Well, this will probably be coming out after the album is already out. But how can people get it? And uh, what's the best place to to reach you? So I have I started a little website with this that has all the information. Uh, LouisMichaud.com with an S, and that has like my tour dates, and it has a link to the Bandcamp, which is all. I mean, a Bandcamp's a great platform, so you can you know of course stream order. From them, it's the Nouveau Electric. So it's a Nouveau Electric release, which is obviously my record label. Mm -hmm. And also the Nouveau Electric Records.com. Of course, you can come to our shows and it's going to be on the, the normal streaming services soon. But we have three different colors of vinyl and all that. Yeah. So a shirt with the Bosco Yo Flow, the Iverville Woodpecker and all that. So, yeah, it's been, it's been great to finally have it out. I mean, literally worked on it until the morning of the first show, which was Thursday in Baton Rouge, like the first show that we had the visuals on. So it's just been so much work more than work that I've ever put into any album. And it's been an awesome experience. And I'm very glad that I'm on this side of it. Yeah. <laughs> Being able to perform it with the record in hand and all that. Cause we, this is like, we played 30 shows already this year before we even had the record. So. Hmm. Well, I saw you're not coming to Washington yet. <laughs> in Washington almost made it. Yeah. All right. Maybe next time. <laughs> definitely definitely yeah. well thank you again louis uh, and uh, it's great catching up with you and appreciate your time as always all right thanks so much rob appreciate yep. you what i tell you man what an interview what an album go check it out louismichaud.com nouveauelectricrecords.com find them on bandcamp spotify but come on do yourself a favor and buy the cd buy the vinyl it's just the right thing to do Anyway, stay tuned. I got so much more coming that you're not going to miss anything. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk to you later.